Welcome to the HR Lounge. Sit back and listen in as Diane and I interview HR professionals from all walks in life. We'll be exploring all things HR related. You know the ones, those deep and sometimes uncomfortable conversations that should take place, but unfortunately never really happen. Enjoy your time with us in the HR Lounge. Today, our special guest is Mevish Shafi Ajibola. Now, Mevish is an HR and OD professional, co-chair of the HR and OD professional network for London. How do we know Mevish? Well, Diane and I met Mevish whilst we were doing a special project with HPMA, looking at barriers within the career progression of Black, Asian and minority ethnic HR professionals in the NHS. Diane? Yes, it was very nice to meet you and to recognise that uh, you played a part in our findings. So, yes, looking forward to this conversation. So we've got a series of questions that we want to ask you. We're just looking forward to your responses and deep diving into the subject matter. You currently wear quite a few hats as job roles. Can you tell us about your role as the co-chair within the HR and OD professional London network and how your career journey has led you along this pathway? Yeah, no, of course. And, and lovely to be here. And thank you for having me. Um, yes. Yeah, so like you said, you know, I'm, I am the co-chair of, of the network and the network is quite new in, in some sense. Um, it really, it was launched. It was founded at the height of COVID. There was a need for it. It was, you know, naturally the need was driven by the conversations about race inequalities and our HR professionals weren't excluded in that. Um, they were deeply impacted by those conversations and about, um, and I, you know, me for someone from the Black Asian minority ethnic background as a Pakistani, I was also deeply impacted and based what transpired in 2020, the death, the unlawful sort of killing of George Floyd, the heightened conversations about racism, and especially in here in the UK, where throughout social media, there were these conversations about, oh, no, it's an American problem. It's not a UK problem. And all of that really kind of drove the conversation that was happening, I know, on a personal level in my own personal life, but equally at work and working for the health service. It was it was one of the hot topics, especially during that period when there was a paper that was launched that clearly highlighted the disparities between um, health inequalities um, experienced by, by communities, diverse communities. And that, again, kind of drove that conversation that this is something we can't avoid. But what it meant was our HR professionals from a Black Asian minority ethnic background did not feel they were able to fully contribute to some of the conversations or they found those conversations very difficult and there was this conflict between being their professional self and their personal self um so um you know bringing it back to myself that's something I experienced my my co-chair who I chair with Serena and um, we both experienced it at the same time but didn't know that we were experiencing it so for example we were looking at we were really going in deeper about our experiences of what racism meant means to us, how we've been impacted, how 
over the, the time when we look at and manage HR cases, for example, um, we've always felt that something's not really right, um, and but we couldn't pinpoint exactly what it meant. It was during that period we had to take that personal journey to really explore what exactly does it mean? And that link happened that actually the reason why it didn't feel right was because it's not right. And I think that created a, especially with myself and my, my um, co-chair Serena, it, it, it created a sort of heightened emotion that that conflict existed. That how can we be professional, we've got a job to do, we've got to hold the space for the organisation, um, we've got to support them, but then who's who's there supporting us? And, and we weren't, and especially with myself, I, I wasn't able to have those personalised conversations with my manager, my my peers, who were majority of them all white. Um, and and, and it, it became quite a lot, it became extremely emotional and I was torn um, and I had to go to my white senior leaders and really seek that support, that well-being support to say, actually, this is really hard. I don't know how do I how do I be in these spaces and, and maintain my professionalism. And and it was in those honest, open conversations that we had those real conversations about racism, but equally where is HR for HR, especially for people from a BME background? Um, so now, you know, we, we launched in August 2020 officially. Um, we have over 100 members. We meet on a quarterly basis. And, and the basis, the main focus of the network is it's a safe space for other Black, Asian, minority, ethnic um, HR professionals within London, within the health service to come together. Um, and to and to really have those conversations that are meaningful for them to discuss their own sort of challenges when it comes to race and and cultural differences that they may experience that may have an impact in their work. But equally, it's about networking. We know and and like you you, you mentioned, you know, through the work that that you led on and and you helped pull together, we we know that the profession itself is very white dominated. And when we look at the decision makers at a senior level, they are white. And and we need to be able to have a more diverse, inclusive HR profession. And the, the vision of the network is to create those safe spaces, widen network opportunities, but also have the space to be able to encourage people to go for stretched opportunities, promote opportunities that are that do exist, um, especially within London or or further afield, if that's what individuals want. But also, we're active advocates of the inclusive hashtag inclusive HR as well, just to really highlight the importance of having equal and fair, inclusive workplaces. And one thing that's really important for me as as the co-chair is as a network. We represent many different ethnicities, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, you know, there's, there's a nice mixture. Um, and in that mixture, we are coming as one voice. We all have our differences and it's holding that space to enable everyone to really share their, their what's authentic and true to them. Um, and, and it's been a journey. It's taken time to develop that trust, if, if I'm honest, because it's hard for people to see themselves separate. I think through time, you know, I think you, you just evolve and, you know, you get to learn about each other 
through the process. And as time goes on, you may find a year from now, you might look differently, but it's about, to, it's about what you're trying to achieve. As long as you know what you're trying to achieve and everybody is following, that makes things a lot better. So, you know, the fact that you started is great and, and you can see that people are making an effort to be involved is great. So you just continue along that vein with a view to moving forward. Now, you've obviously had various roles. Um, how would you say your work experience has helped to shape and influence your day-to-day role and support of others? So I'm just thinking, actually, because you're right, I have got a diverse background. And, and I see I see my journey today, of course, is it's it's a it's a journey. And 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 I would like to sort of break it up into sort of four parts, if if that makes sense. And I, I consider at the moment for me to be on in the third phase of my journey. And and the reason why I say that is because my sort of working life, my my experiences started at a very young age. I, I started working got from the time that my dad had a corner shop and I did the newspaper round. I um, I was a paper girl um, and I worked in the shop with my dad. Um, around 15, 16, I used to work at the Citizens Advice Bureau as a volunteer and that, and the employment liability insurance didn't cover it, um, uh, cover me uh, because I was too young. Um, but that exposed society community issues um, um, problems with debt people were experiencing the, the the more sort of social aspects I became more aware I was aware I, I, on a personal level through my my own life but seeing it at a wide scale really opened my eyes and then you know eventually when I was around um, I think it was about 1920 when I entered university I had to work full-time as well as study full-time because of my um, family situation and it was during that period I worked as a housing benefit officer um, I, I, and I and during university as well I took a sort of an unofficial gap year where um, I am um, shadowed and I just happened to be in and I had an opportunity where I was able to shadow an, an accountant and for me that was my first phase up until like I said during my early 20s that's what I would call my observation phase then I moved into my experience phase and observation I really was just taking it all in I was a sponge just experiencing everything and trying to make sense of it but then in my second phase was actually intense first experience with difficult situations in a workplace and I was an employee I was fortunate to be able to be headhunted and I secured a job in the city as an Islamic finance banker. Um, so I was involved in product development and um, and making products Sharia compliant. And through that, that allowed me to, um, it was a great opportunity. I made good money, but the experience really kicked in about what good what not good looks like. So what I mean by that was I wasn't paid equal to my male counterparts. Parts I was I was the only female. I actually my social settings were was difficult. And what I mean by that was because I actually wore a hijab for a few years, but I also had a period within Islamic finance where I didn't wear a hijab, and I did it with choice. But the way I was perceived by the organization, including by the individuals, it, it really, it, it wasn't fair. It wasn't, it wasn't, 
the experiences weren't great and I was offered false opportunities or opportunities that never materialized. So by the end of it, I was emotionally, mentally, spiritually and physically broken. I, I mean, I would re recall going to the toilet and just spend time just crying because I didn't know how to process the, the, the experience. Um, so I think from that, and, and I didn't want anyone to experience that. And so what happened was I, I was made redundant um, because of the economic crash and I decided to volunteer. So I volunteered and I did a lot of community work. And I think for me that that grounded me, that fed my soul in some sense, because I was working with people. Again, I was working with social community matters and um, I trained as a mediator and I ended up doing a lot of mediation. And I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and it made sense to me because I, I, you know, I studied law. Law didn't, I, I loved the policies, the procedures. I loved the statute and why we do what we do. But I realized very clearly that a lot of people, unfortunately, get so stuck in those processes that the real justice is not done. Because, and, and, and people through that process, unfortunately become their well-being suffers um, and it can be very traumatic not only from a monetary point of view but again emotionally so for me mediation was 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 very much if it, it, it grounded me um, and during that time actually um, that grounded me I went to basics I um, because I was volunteering I actually started working in Papa John's um, I made pizzas um, and I took orders. And the reason why it was very easy for me to even get that job was because I was surrounded by a lot of immigrants. They, you know, English was not their first language. I naturally, English is my first language. So I was surrounded by a whole group of people. I went from the city, the banking industry, highly educated um, individuals, to people who are actually the normal day-to-day -day people dealing with social issues and social problems. And for me, that created that experience. So when I eventually got the opportunity to work, you know, HR, and, and I say opportunity, you know, I just thought actually it's time that I need to get some actual money, start um, developing a new career for myself. Self. So I fell into HR and I've spent the last 11 years committed to this profession because it really brings together everything from my experiences and things that I enjoy and I love. And my third phase, which I'm currently, like I mentioned, I'm in, is the acceptance. It's accepting that society is not perfect. Um, and we're all going to have these not so great experiences. But as a HR professional, we use legislation, policies, procedures, good practices. But equally, we have to remember why we're here um, and we're here for the people. Um, and, and I think so just going back, um, I think you mentioned about, you know, how do I sort of influence my day to day role? How do I support others? It's that constant reminder that I am here. This is my role. This is who I am. But I, but there's a bigger agenda. It's not about me. It's about others, especially in the healthcare. It's a caring and giving industry in comparison to finance. And I found that there was more hurt 
being experienced in in the health industry than it was in the finance industry and for me that meant that the people-centered approach was really important and it's a lot you know there's a known quote that um says i feel therefore i am so basically meaning that you know I, I i connect and therefore i'm able to you know be myself the thing that i like to use is more based on um, socially being mindful and the phrase i like to use is i am therefore i relate so i relate based on my experiences on a personal and on my work experience level and therefore i am who i am based on that relatability and it's that what i use to then navigate through those um situations in my day-to-day -day work in how i interact with people and also knowing that actually we all come from our different experiences and we have to manage those conflicts and conflicts don't need to be hard because we all experience it so it's about accepting those conflicts and 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 accepting that that we've just got to be kind and compassionate to one another and and be open and say it's hard or say it's difficult but just support one another through that process today we're having a meaningful conversation with mevish shafi ajibola in the hr lounge right mevish i just want to take you back to um something that you said it resonated with me where you said in your role as a co-chair in the hr and od london network you talked about everybody coming together as one voice and speaking with one voice that that sort of like it painted a picture for me of inclusion and unity. You know, it's not always going to be hearts and flowers. But what I want you to ask you is about the challenges that you faced in your time during your career working in an organization and you know, any one of the organizations, whether it's it's the banking or whether it's in the NHS, but what was your most challenging and how did you overcome it? Um, I mean, going back to the phases that I'm in and currently I'm in the phase of accepting, the true challenge happened during this phase of accepting. And, and it has been in the last 11 years working within the HR profession. And in particular, the biggest challenge was the pandemic. Um, and it's not because it was more of a pandemic, but it was more about understanding the impact inequality and injustice had had on me. And I was carrying an element of shame that I wasn't aware of. Um, because I think especially, so I'm a British Pakistani and I didn't realize that over my lifetime, anything that bad that happened or I, I thought or felt that it was a bad experience there was no healing it was accepting well I didn't accept it I noted it and then just put it underneath the carpet so to speak it was I was just adding to the pile of not great things that I don't want to talk about and that created that internal conflict within self and it actually had a huge impact on my confidence and, and self-esteem so when I look at you know on the outside a lot of people have always said maybe you've done so well in your career because on paper yeah I've, I've done well and I feel privileged to be able to um, have the experiences I've had but internally the diet I, I wasn't healing from that I wasn't sharing because it 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 was just basically 
in, I was internalizing everything. And that had a huge impact on my, like I said, my, my confidence, my self-esteem, how I came across, how I interacted with people, because I ended up becoming a people pleaser. Um, and that doesn't help. And, and when, especially when you, you know, I think as professionals in particular, you have to hold your parameters, your, your boundaries with people. And I didn't know what those boundaries were. I just wanted to please because I, I you know, that was ingrained in me from, from experiences I've had. So I think going back to those challenges, it was really facing those experiences, those past experiences, and just putting a voice to it. Because when I started talking about it, it created it empowered other people to talk about it as well. And that helped. So I think that for me was a personal journey. Another, and so that was in 2020, but then in 2021, and this is coming back to the one voice, I've, I was so, I, and I am, I'm committed to the EDI agenda because I've realized justice is the golden thread that sits within my life and, and in all the roles I've done. So when I was very deep in, you know, working as the head of OD and the EDI, I was all for the agenda and supporting what we're here to do and seeking equality, inclusivity for all. And that meant I was working very, very closely with my BME colleagues because we were all on the same journey, or so I thought. So my challenge was I realised that actually us as BME people need to be kind to one another we need to be talking as basically coming together as one and it was during a very difficult situation where I actually felt bullied um, by my BME peers um, and it it had a huge impact on me and my well-being it was at a time where I just thought I could not I didn't want to go to my white seniors to to explain to them this is the experience that I'm having with my own BME colleagues, peers, um, because we as BME individuals who are talking about race and seeking race equality, why can't we solve that issue ourselves? So I was really seeking mediation or, or facilitate a conversation or us just to come together and have a conversation. But, you know, I, my requests for those those conversations were met with not great responses um, and like I said it affected my well-being um, because I just didn't understand why I was experiencing what I was experiencing especially the common goal was the same. Thank you for sharing that Medish it's, it's really deep and meaningful especially to an individual that's gone through so many challenges within the workplace. The quote to thine own self be true kind of rings loud and clear. It's, it's not easy being in a platform where you're working towards a common goal, but then there's fracture within, within the actual infrastructure of the very same grouping that is marginalized and excluded from many things. I know that your journey doesn't end there and that your healing has taken place. So I'm gonna sort of like make way for Diane to ask you the next question, which actually tackles it head on. Yeah, which I was funny, was exactly what I was going to say, Jacqueline, in that, um, on the comments you made previously, this would be a very good question to ask you, which is, um, as a workforce race equality standards expert, how has it enabled you to support others to develop and grow in the face of disparities and inequalities within the NHS? When I 
was offered to be part of the program, I actually said, I'm not sure what this program is going to give me. Um, because as a, as a business partner of many years, I'd already learned um, how to present a business case, mm. use data to, to drive my point on, and, and really influence the relevant people to get, 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 get come to an agreement or an outcome of how we move in a particular way. And I'd already started doing that and made headways in the organization when it came to res. So I felt quite confident that I knew what res was about, what the indicators were about and so on. So again, I was very um, naive but I found out by doing the course, the program, and post-completion that actually the, the program in itself really allowed me to, to really explore racism in its total sense and, and, and look at the greater sort of, the, first of all, the history of racism and the impact racism has on society and organization. So it's mu it was much more wide, but it was, it was also very deep. And a lot of conversations we had within the program was around recognizing, identifying that this is a wicked problem. There's no one fix. It, it, it's a bigger issue here. Um, and therefore, because of that bigger issue, it is sensitive and it does require time, patience, but a continuing conversation. And I think having that knowledge has allowed me, so going back to what you were saying about, you know, how is it supported? Um, how have I used that to support others to, to develop and grow? And I think for me, it's allowed me and equipped me enough to start challenging people about their own narrative, their own decision-making, being a bit more curious and, and going in deeper based on particular conversations or particular situations I find myself. And I'll give you an example about um, recruitment. So I was asked to be part of a interview panel. Um, they wanted diversity um, at the recruitment um, stage. And, you know, they asked me to be part of it. And as being part of um, that process, you know, we did good practice. We scored the two candidates. There were two candidates, one from a um, BME background and one white. Both on paper were equally credible, experienced, um, and both of them performed extremely well. And when we looked at the scores, there was one particular question that I had actually scored the BME candidate higher in comparison to the white candidate. And my other two white panel members were very much in a disagreement to my score. And the difference between these two individuals was this one score. So it came down to this particular question. And, and you know, to the long and short of it, the white individual was able to come up with a really good answer based on her privilege because she won an award for what that particular question was in relation to. So she, she was able to demonstrate the impact she had, whereas the BME in, um, staff member didn't have an award, but she had a very good answer that was very much driven and connected to the patient of why what she did impacted the patient. And it's interesting that in when we had we had actually three debriefs before we came to a conclusion and i would never have in the past been able to go in deeper and and understand why the individual scored 
um, the, the, the way they scored. And I think by going through the process to try to get them to understand that the white candidate had the privilege to be able to have been nominated for this award because there was someone there that recognized this person's contribution and of course she did well but why should we take away someone who is also coming with something that's just as equal if she also had the privilege of being nominated you never know she may have also been able to demonstrate that she had a greater impact and was recognized for that and i think this is where i was able to go into a bit more detail and of course as you can appreciate confidentiality so i can't go in more a lot more detail but i was able to get them to see things from a different lens unfortunately they did go with the white, I say unfortunately, because I was very much so for the, the BME candidate, but they did go ahead with, with the white candidate, which rightly so, she did score more, but I am confident that it, it actually created a shift within those two white candidates, that they realised and they even questioned further, you know, sort of, we further had a conversation about how they saw racism and, and they didn't think about the, the privileges that individuals have. Um, and, and and I think for me, that was a shift. Um, and I think that's what the race, being a race expert does. It's creating those small little shifts and those small little movements so people can really take a curious stance, whether you're white or from a BME background. And I think that's how I feel when we start doing that at a scale, we can then start create those, those maximum impacts. Um, so it's, it's a small drop in the, the bigger ocean, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, what you um, described there is um, it's giving you more confidence to be able to have those difficult conversations with, with people and to be able to make sure your voice is, is being heard, um, which is um, very, very important if you want to shift the dial, as it were. Definitely, definitely. You know, thanks for sharing that, Medish. Um, I too have been on the um, res experts program, I sit on a board for a community healthcare trust. So I'm seeing the res experts information and going through the program from a different um, side of the table, so to speak. And it is about moving that dial because um, when I went through it, it was quite triggering in some aspects because it's getting people to see the bigger picture and to walk a mile in um, black, Asian and minority ethnic shoes to actually see through our lens what we experience every day, the things that they take for granted, their privilege. And um, it will take a little bit longer before um, we actually start seeing the dial moving in any one direction, you know, to make a significant leap. All of this actually feeds into our passions and I'm passionate, you're passionate, Diane's passionate. And um, we're all passionate about what we do and how we bring people with us. You know, what are you passionate about and what keeps you striving to improve yours and others working environments? I've realized I'm extremely passionate about a lot of things. Um, I, I've, I've even more realized how, how justice and fairness has, as I mentioned earlier, about it being the golden thread in everything I do. Um, I didn't realise, I wasn't conscious that 
working in the sins as vice bureau at such a young age i enjoyed that experience and, and it's because i was seeking that fairness that equality and um you know working in islamic finance um, it's all based on, on equity and, and, and the idea that that you can't profit from money because money is not tangible. Um, you, you can only profit and, um, from, the, from, from tangible assets like gold, you know, properties and so on. Um, so I think the ethos of Islamic finance was, again, all based on um, justice. But then now looking at you know, the journey to date, even though justice has been a big part of me and, and the legal profession as well, um, what sits behind all of that is the civility and respect. It's, it's, it's being kind to one another, you know, accepting one another for who we are, but equally working together to move to a place of, of respect. Um, I've also appreciated and I'm passionate about positive discrimination because inequality, it, 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 we experience it. And, and I'm, I'm using data to re really sort of change that narrative to start developing positive discrimination initiatives to kind of equal the playing field. The other thing that I think is really important for me, um, and I think I know, is mental health. You cannot and you cannot have any interventions to improve equality um, um, outcomes within an organization or experiences for, for staff if you don't have a well um, balanced and resourced mental health support system. There needs to be initiatives that are culturally and emotionally sensitive um, support systems to support our, our diverse workforce. And I think for that, for me, it's, it, they go hand in hand. Um, and without that, you can't expect um, BME people to, to, to say, say to them, we support you, we do this, but you don't give them that, that relevant resources to allow them to seek that support. Um, so I think that for me, it goes hand in hand. The other thing that we did touch upon is, is I want us to have a different conversation. How do we collectively take responsibilities to reduce harm with our, within our own communities? Um, and what I mean by that is, I think colorism plays a huge part it's the the conversations that I've been party of, that I'm you know directly been party of uh, between the Asian and the Black, you know that 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 disconnect and and you know I'm very open to the fact that I'm in a mixed race relationship, and I have had the experiences of you know within my community, my you know my I was told by my family members why couldn't you have married a white you know and i'm just thinking black people are more aligned with the asian culture than than white so why are we doing this to each other when we all experience racism in a different way it's and 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 when i talk about colorism you know the, the thing that i always i have spoken about in the past is if you look at my siblings i'm very dark colored and i remember growing up my mom used to stick me in the bath and with a pumice stone used to screw like scrape my skin because I was too dark she was trying to get me lighter um so in my community I was considered gala which basically means black um and in in the African when I was when I got married and I was embraced by my in-laws I was light-skinned and I was beautiful and I just think you know why why do we do this why do we 
um, have those narratives within ourselves and we as a community, as a workforce, need to take collective responsibilities for ourselves in, and, and, and create that one voice, that inclusivity amongst us as well. So I think those are the things that I feel quite passionate about. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. The reason why I wanted to interrupt you is to give you a reason behind what you're saying. It's a um, colonialism. So basically, there was separation made between black people and Asian people. Asian people were seen to be better than black people. Um, even, my, even my mum, I've spoken to her in the past, and she said to me that they would rather take an Asian person than a black person. They'd rather take a white person than an Asian person than a black person, but a black person would always be lower. Because that is a, the construct to which we have um, lived in for so many years. And what we're asking people to do is to try and acknowledge that this is a construct of somebody else's making and that we need to unify to be able to do better for everybody. So, for example, you know, Pakistanis and Indians, there's issues. Um, if Jamaicans and um, Trinidadians, my parents were from Trinidad, uh, Jackson's parents were from Jamaica. My parents had said years ago, that, oh, I shouldn't um, go out with a Jamaican. And I'm sure maybe Declan might say something similar where they said, oh, that was those small island people, which was a negative. So it's the construct of how we were made to feel less than uh, that has caused this issue. So it is about now recognizing this was the case in the past. We now need to rebuild and develop and to create a better life for everybody to live in. And that's everyone, including white people. We all have to work together for, for everyone to be treated fairly and to be respected. If we don't do that, we are, we're on the highway to, to nowhere. I'd like to just jump in there because there's a lot to be said about where we've come from. In order for us all to progress forward, we've got to go back and acknowledge what happened in the past. And a lot of the things that impact us now, they talk about the, the sins of our fathers go down through the generations, and this is what it is. It's, you know, as Diane said about, you know, the different islands, my, my growing up, I grew up in, in Bedfordshire, and mu very multicultural, I lived next door to Italians, um, went to school with people from other Caribbean islands, you know, and, and you know, um, Bangladeshi, there was mostly Bangladeshi. We didn't really actually come in contact with Pakistani um, families until I came into London. But like growing up, it was a case of you stuck with your own, but we are stronger together, definitely stronger together. So, um, you know, that's me completing a postgrad on black leadership in white organizations and also doing a, a, a 33 week program on Black history studies, because, you know, without that knowledge, you can't imagine what things have been eroded and have been hidden from us that tells us more about why we're in the situation we are in today. And, you know, divide and conquer will always be at the heart of it but it's somebody else's exactly. making. And that's really helpful. And, and I think I'm very aware of the colonization that has taken place. Um, but I think that's why now, and I think we're all saying the same thing, it's, it's coming down to the fact that we have to, as BME, as a collective group, 
taking that collective responsibilities to to be more informed about saying that that's that this is who we are that's fine but where do we want to go um, if, if our white colleagues are, are, are informing themselves, then I think we should be doing it as well. Um, and you know, I know that Asians have benefited from the from the experiences of. Um, I remember when I got together with my husband, and we back and forth, we used to talk about our racism experiences. And I honestly thought my experiences were far worse. And but I mean, first there shouldn't even have been an argument. But I think this allowed me to understand that we need to have these conversations as a collective group and really inform ourselves. Mm. It's not about getting one above another. Yeah, it's it's about yeah, it's about acknowledging everybody. Um, you know, we should all understand where we come from separately because we all are different people. However, to uh, make sure that there is inclusivity, we all need to come together. And you know, we're speaking about race, but we should also speak about the other characteristics in terms of inclusivity for everybody. And that is that only comes with listening and understanding and being supportive. And that's not to say that there aren't going to be any challenges uh, regarding that. Because, you know, again, even in the gay community, the LGBT, oh, sorry, LGBTQI community, there's issues within there. You know, everywhere there is an issue. But the thing is, is that we cannot focus on the issue. We have to acknowledge the issue, but it is about dealing with it and moving forward. And if you've got if you've got positive minded people in in your environment, then these things will come forward. And even if they're what well, you know one may class as infiltrators who are going to be negative, you know there's a place for them. But at the end of the day, it's not that we have to um, keep looking at them and saying, oh they're doing this, oh they're doing that. It's about turning the dial and saying, okay, what are we going to do to move forward? And and for me to close and ask my final questions to you. What advice would you give to anyone who is looking to embark on a career within the HR arena? So HR, yeah, it's 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 not the pink fluffy stuff and 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 the people um, and and supporting people. It's no. more than that. It's it's about what Peter Cheese in particular spoke about that I heard him um, speak recently at an event, and he said so. Peter Cheese being the CEO of CIPD, and he spoke about how their profession in itself need to look beyond policies and procedures and move towards fairness and equality. And that really resonated with me. That really had a a lot of meaning for me as an individual, because although I appreciate the legal aspects and the policies that we need to follow, we have to look at the equality agenda as in in the total aspect of, of the profession. It doesn't sit on the side it is in everything we do in every aspect of of hr and hr is huge you know we've got different elements um um recruitment organizational development we we business partnering there's many aspects and equality has to sit within every aspect um so i think it's understanding for an individual who's who's wanting a career is you have to really be there focusing on 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 edi um, and you need to enjoy, not only enjoy working and supporting people, um, you must understand and relate with them um, and have the courage to challenge. And without that, um, you will you your impact and the added value that we're all here to 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 offer will be 
limited if we are unable to relate with people from all backgrounds and and like you said it's not just rates it's you know intersectionality comes into it it's different aspects of an individual and being able to relate with them and then challenge where necessary with courage but challenging with kindness um and and you know have a, and for yourself if you're looking to enter the hr profession one thing i've learned take care of yourself um if we're taking care of the workforce you have to have a very good um um, support system for yourself and the strategy to take out your well-being um, and yeah so I think those are the things that I would say um, is important um, and um, yeah I'm sure I've missed many other things. Thank you. Melish thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to Diane and I in the HR lounge. We've covered quite a lot of stuff and it's been quite deep as well and meaningful um, you know, it's about moving the dial together and being inclusive along the way. But it's also creating that platform that is open for everyone, not just for some. So thank you very much for taking the time with us here on the HR Lounge. Thank you for listening to the HR Lounge. We hope you find our podcast insightful. Join us next time for more thoughtful discussion. And remember, you have the power to make a difference.